I feel I have one of the most important messages that I can preach to the church. I've entitled my message from the words of Paul from Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, For this reason I kneel before my Father as he prays for the church at Ephesus. For this reason I kneel. As you know, I've been talking about my four weeks in July. The first week I contemplated and and thought about the faithfulness of God. The second week we talked about the holiness of God, how I thought on his holiness. Last week I just talked about his omnipresence and how the third week in July I just dwelt upon his omnipresence. I want to share with you what I dwelt upon my fourth week in July. For this reason, I kneel. Many are the plans in a man's heart. But it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Folks, you can have all the plans in the world you want. But if God sees otherwise... Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Instead, we ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Listen, you got to know the life of Job to understand this. Job says, I know you can do all things. No plans of yours can be thwarted. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. For this reason, I kneel. This morning, I want to talk about the sovereignty of God. I don't know if you know, but the word sovereign can be used as a verb or as a noun. As a verb, it means to rule. As a noun, it means king or absolute ruler. To say that God is sovereign is to say that God is in control of the entire universe All the time. Let me say it another way. God's sovereignty means that he is absolutely free to do as he pleases. And to demonstrate his absolute control over all the actions of all his creatures. Let me say it another way. That God... Permits. God permits, and only He knows the reason why. God permits man to act contrary to His revealed will. God permits, for reasons only He knows, man. To act contrary 
to his revealed will. But never will he allow them to act contrary to his sovereign will. That's important to understand. He permits man to act contrary to his revealed will. But never will he allow them to act contrary against his sovereign will. Now what is sovereignty? The sovereignty of God is what I call a humbling doctrine. Because it tells us God is God. We are not God. We are not in control. God is in control. Therefore, it's a humbling doctrine. I also call it an exalting doctrine or a magnifying doctrine because it allows to see us allows for us to see how big God is. You know what the problem with a lot of people's Christianity is their God is too small. Many years ago, I was at a book fair, and I picked up this book by J.B. Phillips. It was the ninth edition that was, uh, it came out in 1955. It's a really old book by J.B. Phillips. If you can get your hands on it, it's a phenomenal book entitled, Your God is Too Small. And the problem with Christianity, the problem with some Christians is their God is too small. It's an exalting doctrine. It's a mysterious doctrine. And the reason why I call it it's mysterious is because it brings us face to face with the problem of evil and free will. If God is sovereign, why is there evil in this universe? Why is everything taking place that is taking place? If God is sovereign. If humans have free will, how can God be in control? And these questions have been debated for centuries. And I'm not going to get in that debate this morning. But let me just say this. God is sovereign. And we are fully responsible for all the choices we make. Mankind is responsible for choices that they make. It's a clarifying doctrine. What I mean clarifying is, have you ever heard the people use the word, oh, what a coincidence, or by chance, or by luck. If God is sovereign, there's either God or there's chance. There can't be both. I don't believe anything is coincidental. I don't think anything happens by fate. I don't think anything just happens by luck. But by God's divine presence. It's a clarifying doctrine. And I call it an an empowering doctor. Because when you get a handle on the sovereignty of God. It gives you a confidence. It takes away fear. To know that he is in absolute control. Now, this morning I have a news flash. There's not many passages of Scripture like this. But I want you to turn to Daniel chapter 4. And I want to share with you a passage that's very rare in Scripture. 
Because it's not written by someone who's Jewish, and it's not written by a Christian. But we're going to hear the words of King Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, he, let me just, I got to set the scene for you. I got to set the table in case you don't know your Bible history. King Nebuchadnezzar was the one who led the army of Babylon into Jerusalem to destroy the temple of God, to burn the gates, to destroy the walls, to demolish and to take most of the people, the Israelites, into captivity into Babylon. That was under King Nebuchadnezzar's reign. During the time when the prophet was Jeremiah. In fact, three weeks ago, we talked about that time after the people were led in captivity when Jeremiah wrote Lamentations. How? The city once so full is now deserted of people. And Lamentations was written to, as, as, as the prophet Jeremiah just lamented over the destruction of Jerusalem. That was all Nebuchadnezzar. Now in chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar, he, let's just say it this way. He learned about God's control. He learned about God's sovereignty the hard way. And he was so full of insight, he just had to share his findings of God's sovereignty, even though he learned it the hard way. And he writes in Daniel chapter 4 to the peoples, nations, men of every language who live in all the world. Nebuchadnezzar says, hey, for all of you, listen up. Here's my finding about God's sovereignty. And may you prosper greatly or may your peace abound. Can I say something in this troubling world with everything taking place? As we listen to the words of King Nebuchadnezzar and his findings on God's sovereignty, may our peace abound. He says, it's my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and the wonders that the Most High God has performed to me, for me. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now this doesn't sound like the king who had the Lord's temple destroyed, does it? But listen to his story. He says in verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. 
I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had everything that mankind is looking for. I had a palace. I had peace. I had prosperity. And I had power. I had everything mankind was looking for. Most would say he had it made. Then you get to verse 5. And it's that phone call. It's the report from the doctor's test. For him, it was a dream. He says, I had a dream that made me afraid. A couple verses later, it says, it terrified him to the point where he couldn't sleep. And terrified and afraid, he, he needed to know what the dreamt meant. So he brought in his sages, his wise men, and, and none of them could tell King Nebuchadnezzar what this dream meant. So Nebuchadnezzar remembers another dream. And there was an Israelite there by the name of Daniel who could, was a dream buster. He interpreted it. So he calls Daniel in. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream of this huge tree that grew up to the sky. Some say grew up to the heavens. And it could be seen from the ends of the earth. This huge tree. Now what makes it so magnificent is a tree like that in Babylon in a desert area. Babylon is today's Iraq. So to have this huge prosperous tree was, was this dream of, of, of epic proportion where birds would, would be on the branches and animals would seek shelter in the shade underneath this tree. It was great and it was mighty. And King Nebuchadnezzar probably had this part of the dream down. That tree represents me. Mighty, powerful. Oh, the great Babylon that I have built. But then there was a messenger from heaven. Who said, let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live among the animals, among the plants, among the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man. And let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass by for him. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream that turns into a nightmare where the tree is cut down, and interesting enough, only the stump remains. So the king calls in Daniel, and Daniel must have had a, a great relationship with this king. Daniel doesn't hold anything back. Daniel basically t- 
compels him, King, that tree is you. And you have built a mighty kingdom that is seen from all the ends of the earth. But like that tree was cut down, the Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know that the most holy is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of men. King, that tree is you. And the Lord wants you to know that he's sovereign and in control of all things. The Holy One declares the verdict so that the living may know the most holy high God is sovereign. And about this time, Nehemiah, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar probably breaks out into this sweat. The king, like us, needs a lesson in God's sovereignty. It is God, not man, who is in charge and in control of all things. And the king is perplexed. Daniel interprets and says, seven times will pass by for you. Seven times, seven years will pass by for you till you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he gives them to everyone he wishes. Now what's interesting about the God's word is before God gives judgment, he always gives warning. Did you know that? There's always warning before God's judgment. We see it here. We see it throughout the whole book. We're even told that we're going to give an account one day. We're going to appear before the judgment seat of God. So, so don't, oh God, I, I didn't know. He, he always gives a warning before his judgment. So how does King Nebuchadnezzar take this warning? Like most of us, in one ear, out the other. And one day he's on the rooftop of his royal palace, overlooking the great Babylon that he has built. And he says these words, Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Do you see it? My mighty power, my majesty, the glory of my majesty. And scripture tells us that as the words were still on his lips, the messenger from heaven says, I declare, I told you, seven years must pass before you see the sovereignty of the Most High. And before he even got a chance. He was probably mooing like a cow. 
It says the hair became like feathers. And he started to eat grass like a cattle. And his fingernails turned into claws like that of a bird. And Nebuchadnezzar is turned into this ugly, wild beast. Just like that. For seven years. Can I say something? As I was reviewing this study, as I was reviewing this passage of Scripture, thinking of the sovereignty of God, I didn't have the luxury to be in the mountains. I didn't have the luxury of being down at the beach. I was in my own den. My, my, I have a, an office in my house. I call it my den. And I have this chair that I sit in. I call it my prayer chair. Like that. God made him into a wild beast. You know, there are times we get up and we look at ourselves in the mirror and think, oh man, we look pretty good. But if there's something ugly inside, don't let it stay there, man. Don't think you can fool yourself. At the end of seven years, Daniel 34 says this, at the end of that time, at the end of that time, I... Nebuchadnezzar raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored as quickly as it left, as quickly as it came back. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. I remember being at Bible College, Valley Forge Christian College. And I remember a chapel service where a pastor preached on this passage of Scripture. And here was his three points. I looked up. I looked up. I spoke up. And I began to praise him. And I remember this pastor saying, there are going to be times in ministry, young men, where you're going to need just to look up. Make sure you keep looking up. The next couple passages of Scripture talks about six quick facts about the sovereignty of God. He rules and reigns eternally. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. He rules forever and ever and ever. It's eternal. How many know he's greater than the greatest? I know they call Michael Jordan the greatest. But he's greater than the greatest. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. 
does whatever he pleases. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the people of earth. With the powers of heaven and the people of earth. He defends himself to no one. He doesn't have to justify himself to anyone. No one can hold back his hand. Or he says to him, what, what have you done? He's sovereign. He never makes any mistakes because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. Why? Because he's holy. Because there's no evil. There's no evil motives. There's no sin in him. And he deflates those who are puffed up. And those who walk in pride He's able to humble Job, Nebuchadnezzar, Peter, just to name a few. He's sovereign. And for this reason, I kneel. You guys can come. So where do we go with this? How do we respond? There's a part of the story I left out. Specifically for now. When Daniel interpreted the dream, he said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Therefore, O king, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins. Separate is another word. Separate yourself from sin. And do what is right. And your wickedness, by being kind to the oppressed, it may be that then your prosperity will continue. But he didn't heed the advice of Daniel. And I'm thinking to myself, he could have avoided those seven years of living like a wild animal. But he didn't heed the voice of God. He had to go through it in order to look up. And there, in my den, for this reason, I kneel. And there I just confessed and I prayed, God, search my heart and see if there be any evil ways in me. Any wickedness, any wrong. And there I just started to confess my sin. And there I asked the Lord to forgive me for the monuments that I've built from my pride based on my abilities and my talents and my giftings. 
Because like Nebuchadnezzar, all of us within us can say, look at what I have built. Look at what we have done. But it's all God who has done it. It's all God who has given it. Don't fool yourself. For this reason, I knelt. God, forgive me. And may I recognize that everything that has ever been accomplished has been by you through me. And no matter where you would have me to go, no matter what it is that you would ask me to do, Lord, I'm willing to follow you. Because my life is not mine. It's yours. And for this reason, I kneel. I'm going to ask the worship team to start singing that song. And maybe you're not physically able to kneel. But would you bow your heart? And maybe if you're able to physically kneel, maybe you just want to kneel before the sovereign Lord. Right there where you're sitting, you can just kneel in front. You can turn around and kneel at the chair. But there's something about recognizing that Lord... You're in control of all things. Forgive me, O Lord. Forgive me for my pride, my arrogance. Forgive me for the pronouns I and mine, me. And may it be him and his. Touching all the sun.